Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Heads Talk with me, Elaine Pringles-Schwitter, the podcast where we talk to C-level executives, leaders of institutions and heads of multinationals. One of the current topics, they talk, we listen. My guest today works in the heart of the pharmaceutical industry. She has 20 years of sales and marketing experience and is on a mission, an ambitious one, but one that will change many lives in a number of countries. And she's going to tell us all about this. It's all about the pharmaceutical business today and who better to discuss this with on Heads Talk than the CEO in one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world. But before we get into that, here's a message from our sponsors. Privcap Resources Group is a fast-growing Canadian-based private capital leaders platform facilitating access to investment insights, resources and capital for its members. It runs senior level forums on private equity, venture capital and real estate under the brand name The Club Series in North America and the Euros Forum in Europe. Go Real 2021, its up and coming private equity real estate forum, will be held online this spring. For details, please visit us at www.clubseries.org. Heads Talk Podcast with your host Elaine Pringle Schwitter. Racy Mokilwa is a country president, CEO, and head of Novartis Sub-Saharan Africa, which spans over 47 countries. For nearly three years, she was the country and group head, English East and Horn of Africa in Kenya and Switzerland, with ultimate accountability for the strategy, operations and sales across the country group that comprise 11 countries. Previously, Racy was the country head for AstraZeneca Kenya and led the general and strategic management of the operations there. She's had a number of different roles in the marketing space. Her specialty firmly lies there within the pharmaceutical industry. Many things have been attributed to racist leadership, and if we are lucky today at Heads Talk, she may mention one or two. As mentioned, Racy is on a mission and has an admirable target to meet, that is, to reach as many patients as possible and in parallel run a sustainably optimal business. Hopefully we'll get into that in the course of this discussion. A theme that is running through her career is her ability to acquire the right kind of talent needed for the roles available. She has a formula for getting the best people for her organisation. Let's hear from Racy herself. So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Racy to Heads Talk. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much and hi everybody. That's great. Okay, we've got quite a few questions to get through today, but I would like to kickstart by asking you about the COVID-19 outbreak in your region. Briefly, what were your initial thoughts as this situation developed from something that was happening far away in China to something right at your doorstep and within your communities? What was going on in your country and region, Racy? Thank you so much for that. As you can imagine, there was great uncertainty because all did not know what we're dealing with to start with. And as a result, there was a lot of anxiety with concerns centered on safeguarding lives and livelihood. And for me, staff engagement was paramount and we scaled it up to enhance pickup opportunities, reinforce assurance and guidance Mm -hmm. as we all navigated the unknown. My priority for me was the health and safety of my nearly 500 employees spread across the Sub-Saharan business unit, which is made up of roughly 46, 47 countries. Mm -hmm. From the onset, I embraced clear, transparent, and consistent employee communication to assure and safeguard the lives and livelihoods because those were the key concerns for my team. And this called for vulnerability and at times very unsettling honesty about the uncertainty in cases where I did not have ready answers. 
as I mentioned, we had not experienced such a pandemic, pandemic before. And we are also going through a transformation of Sub-Saharan Africa. Mm. So we introduced mental wellness programs to ensure all employees had an avenue to speak up while we provided a wide array of counselors in person and sometimes even telephonically. Uh, this extended to additional medical insurance premiums to cover COVID-related ailments for employees and their families, because this was not part of the coverage at that point in time. But also we quickly set up a cross-functional work stream group to monitor and manage any crisis affecting our employees. We are still not out of the woods yet, mm. but now we have more information about the virus, how to prevent and manage it with this cross-functional work stream still in place even right now as we are having this conversation. Okay, that, that's mm. interesting. But um, for the next question, let's let's concentrate on your region for this one. What were Novartis's priorities prior to the pandemic and how has that now changed? I mean, do you have any concerns that some of your priority or pet projects have been put on the back burner as a result of the pandemic, almost forgotten? And if so, um, how will that affect things going forward? The beautiful thing is, um, Novartis Sub-Saharan Business Unit was established in November 2019. So at that time, we had actually embarked on a transformation journey to operate as a single business unit under one leadership, integrating mm -hmm. all the, st the strengths and capabilities of three major Novartis business units, that's pharma, oncology, and Sandals. Mm -hmm. So of course, we never imagined a pandemic hitting us. Mm. Is which also enhanced the nervousness within the organization because we are setting up an organization, then the pandemic comes up in uh, three months or four months down the line, for sure. Mm -hmm. So the beautiful thing also is our strategy is anchored on broadening patient reach across the entire income pyramid and ensuring the availability of our portfolio of medicines in the region. And this is the home to the largest underserved patient population definitely in the world. So COVID-19 has just reinforced our aspiration because we have seen the immense pressure on healthcare systems and our priorities of broadening access, building capability for healthcare pro professionals and shaping the environment. This were further affirmed when the pandemic came up. So it's actually just in line with the setup that we had from November 2019. And we are, we are growing up on that very well, trying to see how do we manage the pandemic, making sure that our priorities are driving the strategy that we have within the region. All right, so anyway, the pandemic sort of honed in on your priorities. Okay, mm. well, what about a year on? What is your assessment of how, I mean, you said we're not out of the woods. I agree with you. Uh, the world is not out of the woods yet. What is your assessment of how COVID has been managed in your region as opposed to, say, the East or the West? What was done well and what lessons have not been learned or should be learned? Mm, thank you for that. Yeah. So the World Health Organization lauded Africa countries for the quick adoption of the COVID-19 public health guidelines. Mm. And I think initially, if you remember, there was a lot of... Um, a lot of uh, anxiety because yes. they thought Africa was not very well prepared for this, but we were able to quickly adopt to the COVID-19 public health guidelines. Most countries instituted various restrictions such as curfews or lockdowns, which started in a timely way because by the time we got it in March, some of the countries actually by by end of that March, when we got it, the first cases in Africa, by end of March, most of the countries had actually started uh, instituting the various restrictions. Um, earlier this week, I looked at the WHO dashboard and it showed that Africa had the least confirmed COVID cases uh, at under 3.5 million compared to the others, Americas, ETC, which are leading with over 66 million. Mm -hmm. 
So I think just looking at that, it shows there's something we started doing right and it's great for us to continue doing it and being very vigilant. Nevertheless, one of the most critical conversations now is vaccine equity to widen the reach in Africa in a timely way. Um, you've seen some countries where either vaccines are getting over and they don't know when they're going to get another, uh, the next batch. This needs to be managed. And this is critical because a delay in vaccine supply could prolong the pandemic, which is not ideal for us. So increasing vaccine production is critical and one of the greatest lessons that I hope will continue post the pandemic mm -hmm. uh, and looking at it more from an industry col collaboration. And I'll give an example. For instance, Novartis has um, joined pharma-wide efforts to meet global demand mm -hmm. for COVID-19 vaccines by collaborating to help manufacture two different messenger RNA-based COVID-19 vaccines in our facilities. Mm -hmm. uh, these vaccines are like the Pfizer-BioNTech vaccine and the CureVac vaccine. Mm -hmm. So indeed, partnerships and collaboration have been a great learning and I'm hoping that we continue with this. Okay, that's, and just as a side question, how prepared are you for a third wave? I would say as Novartis, learning from, from what, what has happened so far, mm -hmm. we have very clear guidelines from across division, cross-functional perspective, mm -hmm. which helps us, directs us in the way we should go. Mm -hmm. So as a company, whether it's from a manufacturing perspective, whether it's from work from home policy, whether it's having a hybrid kind of, um, of system yeah. where yeah. we can work from home, work from the office and still deliver, we're already preparing towards that or we've already prepared based on what we've gone through. But for the countries from a third wave perspective, I guess that is something then from a public health perspective, the government officials need to see how do we manage what we need to manage for the populations, mm -hmm. whether it's lockdowns, whether it's the curfews, whether it's the vaccine, mm -hmm. uh, making sure that we give enough vaccines for, for everybody and availing those vaccines in time. When countries talk of getting the vaccines by next year, let's say June next year, but if you look at the number of people who've, been, who've mm -hmm. even been vaccinated, they're neg negligible. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot that needs to be done across many of these governments, make sure then we manage what we need to manage in a very timely way. Okay, okay. Let, let, let's go into some, some detail now um, about some of the work being done in Novartis to combat this virus and, and put an end to this pandemic. I read this article headline and I quote, um, Novartis launches first of its kind, not-for-profit portfolio of medicines mm -hmm. for systematic treatment of COVID-19. It was written in July, um, 2020. Firstly, mm -hmm. what is this? Secondly, what has happened and developed between then, when it was written in July 2020 and now? And thirdly, uh -huh. what else is Novartis doing in this space? Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for that question. And I'm glad that you're able to read, you read that article actually. Mm -hmm. So the Novartis COVID-19 portfolio is an initiative to help patients in low income and lower middle income countries to access affordable medicines to manage the major symptoms of COVID-19. Mm. And in this, we are looking at symptoms uh, towards gastrointestinal illness, acute respiratory symptoms, pneumonia, as well as septic shock. Mm -hmm. So the medicines were chosen based on clinical relevance and availability to ensure demand can be met globally, because we didn't want to commit and then we are not able to deliver the, mm -hmm. these products. So the portfolio is of 15 medicines and it's sold at zero profit. And I would just like to highlight a bit about dexamethasone 
which most of us probably are aware of. And this has proven to be highly effective in the management of COVID-19 symptoms. So these medicines are available to governments, uh, non-governmental organizations, and other institutional customers in up to 79 eligible countries in the low income and lower middle income countries. So what has happened between then and now? Since the launch of the pandemic portfolio, we went a step further to collaborate with the Africa Union through a platform they call the Africa Medical Supplies Platform, AMSP. Mm -hmm. And this was to elevate supply and logistical constraint in the continent. Mm -hmm. The AMSP portal is an online marketplace that enables supply of COVID-related critical medical equipment, devices, and medicines across the 55 plus countries within um, Africa and partly Caribbean. So many African countries had severe challenges in the procurement of essential supplies. I think you probably must have read even getting the PPEs or yes, getting the yes. masks. It was quite a challenge. So this is actually coming in support uh, towards this re uh, to, uh, to res response to us this because also there was stiff competition within the more inter in the industrialized countries mm. for the limited available requests. So. Naturally, it made sense to be part of the e-commerce platform because it speaks to a mandate of reaching patients, no matter where they are, because mm -hmm. patients are the center of what we do. Mm -hmm. So um, also just maybe to add on that, um, something more that we are doing is, uh, I had mentioned earlier about collaboration to manufacture the messenger RNA-based mm -hmm. COVID vaccines. Mm -hmm. but, uh, also later, late last year, we collaborated with Molecular Partners, that is a clinical stage biotech company that is developing a new class of custom built protein drugs for the treatment of mild to moderate COVID symptoms. So Novartis will be responsible for further development, manufacturing, distribution, and commercialization. So there's a lot that is still happening within this space and we just hope we'll be able to have the impact for the patients as desired. Thank you for that. Very fascinating. Fascinating indeed. Now, you know, these next sets of questions will look at the business side of things. Um, let me start by saying, you know, Novartis is at the forefront of the fight against COVID-19. And you've just given us a brief um, summary of some of the stuff you're doing. Mm -hmm. How has the pandemic enabled growth in your organization? What is the growth? If you could provide us with some numbers, that would be great. Mm. Um, I had mentioned earlier that we set up the business, the Novartis Sub-Saharan business um, in November 2019. And this was under the global health uh, division within Novartis. And it was very clear from the beginning that the metrics for growth, the metrics for performance, what good looked like was more on patient reach than the financial metrics such as sales performance and profits. Mm -hmm. And this, this is purely to drive access to medicines. And the main thing we are trying to do also is to strengthen healthcare systems in the region. And that is part of our new strategy. So we were very ambitious from that time. So right now we're in the second year of transformation and it's been an incredible journey, Elaine, as, mm -hmm. because then we are laying the foundation structures to ensure that we are reaching the patients that we need to reach. Mm -hmm. We aspire, we have a very bold mandate, a very bold aspiration to double our patient numbers by 2022 and quintuple them times five by 2025. Mm -hmm. We are on course. What I can say to date, we are at 100% of what we need to do by April. Uh, though for the total numbers, 
probably it would be great for me to, uh, to share them the full year numbers beginning of 2022, because then it will be more consolidated yep. based on the, the fact that now we're in the second year of the transformation journey, if that's mm -hmm. okay with you, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Okay. Um, you've talked about um, some of the collaborations earlier on, you've talked about some of the collaborations and partnerships, um, which was interesting. And, and, and this next question is to broaden that, um, what you've just talked about. And, and I just think you must have developed a number of strategic partnerships and collaborations in order to develop a treatment for the, the coronavirus disease. Can you tell my listeners about some of them that you haven't mentioned already? And are any of them technology partners, for instance? Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, the collaboration with Africa Union through AMSP was critical, definitely to alleviating supply and logistical constraints for COVID-19 related medicine. And this is what I can say was one of the biggest strategic partnerships for us in relation to, to COVID, coronavirus uh, disease. Um, we definitely believe in the, um, we definitely believe in opening an e-commerce channel mm -hmm. in the region. Mm -hmm. so that then we can increase the access to medication for the almost a billion people with unmet needs across SSA. Mm -hmm. In addition, we also believe establishing a direct supply channel into the region can ensure high quality and safety standards across the region. This could also enhance anti-counterfeit and anti-theft measures to reduce the cost of medicines for patients by shipping medicines directly to customers in the public sector. The other collaborations that we've had, which are not necessarily towards coronavirus or the COVID uh, pandemic. And this was more towards the cardiovascular where we partnered with different academia. We mm -hmm. partnered also with the Chai Foundation towards oncology to make sure that we are reaching as many patients as possible. So there are a lot of partnerships going on in all the disease areas that uh, we are playing in to make sure that we are reaching as many patients as possible. As we also collaborate with the doctors, with the associations to ensure then we are providing the right capacity capability building towards management of the COVID pandemic or the COVID disease, coronavirus disease, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. that, that's useful. Uh, and as a side question, I mean, you can say, no, that's not happened and that's fine. But, you know, mm -hmm. all the big pharmaceutical companies um, we're working towards the same goal, i.e. an effective vaccine. How, mm -hmm. if at all, has any of the big pharma corporations collaborated to meet the goals of vaccine for all, working directly together? I mean, and, and do you see, if that's, if that's actually happened, do you see any of the collaboration going forward? Yes, for sure, for sure. And um, just what, what I've mentioned, what we're doing with yes. Pfizer, and the, yes, yeah, that's one of the ways definitely we can collaborate because together we'll win. Yes. But if we work as individuals, then we are not likely to do that. Just look at the COVID, uh, the COVID facility to, to alleviate uh, the, the issue of having COVID vaccines within, within the world. I think for me, that in itself is already a collaboration which is working towards yes. ensuring the patient, the patient is at the center of everything that we are doing. Mm -hmm. um, solo working is not going to help. So then we need to just make sure we are collaborating as much as possible, but also always being, knowing that we have competences in different areas yes. and it's more of looking at it to see that I'm competent in this aspect. How do I come in to make sure that I'm supporting the efforts towards a COVID uh, pandemic, management of the COVID pandemic across the world? That's good. And, and now let's talk specifically about your role. You know, with this pandemic, the challenges are evolving in terms of what we know what we need to know, um, mm -hmm. what data needs to be obtained and 
what needs to be communicated. This is a very trying time for a CEO of a multinational organization, never mind the CEO of a large pharmaceutical corporation. In, in this climate of uncertainty, what do you prioritize in your organization? What are the conversations you are having with your management team or even quietly to yourself in order to decision make? Mm -hmm. This is a fundamental question because our stakeholders expect us to generate financial returns mm -hmm. and to help find answers to the most pressing societal challenges, including access to medicines, healthcare inequity, and the growing impact of climate change. For the first time in Sub-Saharan Africa, for instance, we are conducting what we call a materiality assessment to give us insights into what matters most to internal and external stakeholders. And it's quite interesting the feedback we are getting from these stakeholders. Yes. But that having said, building trust with society is a key pillar of the Novartis corporate strategy and defines our focus areas for managing environmental, social and corporate governance, what we call the ESG topics. Mm -hmm. This means being part of the solution on pricing and access, tackling global health challenges and being a responsible citizen, for sure. Specifically on climate, um, as Novartis, we aim to minimize the environmental impact of activities and products with clear mm -hmm. targets for becoming carbon, water and waste neutral by 2030. This has been outlined very well in our ESG document. Um, but if you need more information on this, I'm happy to connect you to the team directly dealing with the ESG, if that's okay with you. Okay, okay. Um, this is this is this is a question that I, that I often ask guests on Heads Talk, okay. and it tends to yield some surprising answers. So, mm -hmm. what opportunities that you've not mentioned that have come mm -hmm. out of this pandemic, or are being pursued or developed as a result of this pandemic? It doesn't necessarily have to relate to the pandemic, but what opportunities mm -hmm. are there? The immense pressure that our healthcare systems continue to endure in Africa has come out very clearly during this time. And it's it just a great testimony that what we are doing from Novartis Sub-Saharan Business Unit to reach more patients and strengthen the healthcare system is actually helping towards this. And not only COVID, it's something we need to look at and say across all the disease areas, whether it's cardiovascular, whether it's oncology, whether it's the other communicable diseases, malaria-related disease, malaria-related um, ailments, what does that mean for us? So, but also looking at this, it also just demonstrates that the governments cannot do this by themselves. We need to actually come in and, and help and yeah. neither can the private sector nor the donor agencies, mm -hmm. because you'd find a lot of donors coming in to, yes. to, to support, but that's not sustainable. So partnerships and collaboration across the public and private sectors are essential. And this is a key opportunity we are leveraging as Novartis. In addition to improving access to healthcare, um, this cannot be solved by just one organization. So it's as you earlier mentioned that collaboration across the pharma companies, what's happening around that yeah. area. We are looking at those opportunities to see how can we collaborate with others to make sure then we are reaching as many patients as possible and driving the need in the market, meeting the need in the market. So for us, we are working with governments and other partners to lower barriers to healthcare delivery and support quality patient care in areas where we can, uh, we can have the greatest impact. Um, which I had alluded to earlier, but definitely healthcare strengthening is something that is very critical. And this is not only the infrastructure, but also the capability and the capacity building across Africa. So these are interesting times ahead. So thank you for that. Um, 
these days you cannot have a conversation with a head of an organization that employs thousands of people and or produce a lot of products without talking about the sustainability drive and of course the climate change issue you mm. mentioned some of the work you're doing and with being carbon neutral but what else what is Novartis sub-Saharan Africa doing in this space what else are you doing in this space how is the drive for greater sustainability options and climate change actions affecting how you do business please can you provide us with some examples if you can yeah, I'll gladly do that, Elaine. So one of the growing threats uh, to public health is antimicrobial resistance, what we term AMR. And mm -hmm. you might hear this a lot in a lot of the medical circles. And uh, um, we are trying to say, how do we tackle this using various measures? One of the approaches is, is environmentally friendly production of antibiotics, mm -hmm. which is the first step of combating AMR effectively. Mm -hmm. In particular, Improvement in water sanitation and hygiene mm -hmm. and wastewater management is also extremely critical. Our leading antibiotics network is centered in Kundo site, which is in Australia. Mm -hmm. The hub um, of the last vertically, um, it, the hub of the last vertically integrated antibiotics uh, production chain in Europe, and it's something that has been there for over 70 years. Mm -hmm. And this has been a pioneer in waste min minimization and also effluent treatment. So we're investing significantly to up upgrade our technology across the value chain mm -hmm. and build out Kundal as a global center of excellence in this field mm -hmm. when it comes to waste management. So to give you an example, another example, in my region, for instance, um, Kenya team, and I'll mention Kenya team because I've seen it happen, but it's also happening across the other 46 countries, uh, 46, the other four clusters across Sub-Saharan Africa. Mm -hmm. Kenya team has partnered with various organizations to plant 20,000 trees, which is critical to managing climate change and sinking boreholes also in semi-arid areas mm -hmm. to ensure access to portable water for more than 12,000 households reaching a total population of more than 60,000 people. This is something we started this year and we are hoping to grow more even as we grow the business also. Mm -hmm. So those are some of the things that we are looking at. Mm -hmm. Oh, thanks for that, thanks for that. So in my final question, let's move away from COVID, let's move away from COVID news, pandemic and all the issues around that. And I want to ask you about some other things that's happening in your region. Please tell my listeners about this amazing initiative by Novartis. It's hashtag one billion antimalarials or hashtag zero malaria starts with me. What's that all about? Thanks for bringing that up. Uh, it's a great celebration for us, for patients, definitely, for us to reach one billion antimalarials within globally uh, by end of April. So we've actually delivered that one billion courses of oh, wow. this treatment since 1999. More than 90% of this artemisinin-based combination therapy, which we call SCT, was supplied without profit to mm -hmm. malaria endemic countries around the globe. So SCTs are the standard uh, care of treatment for uh, falciparum malaria. This is the most deadly form of the disease, mm -hmm. responsible for over 99% of cases in Africa and half, half of these cases in Asia. For us, this is a really landmark moment in the fight against malaria because this is very close to our heart. Um, it's also particularly close to my heart because I grew up in a malaria endemic area and so firsthand the devastating impact of malaria. As much as that was our reality, when I reflect back 
it actually scares me that this is what was happening at that point in time. So I could not be more proud of this milestone that has improved and extended the lives of people in Africa, especially children, many of whom never celebrated their fifth birthday. So this is a great milestone for us. Mm -hmm. I, I think it'd be fantastic if there is a link that I can put in the episode description so that those listening to this episode can go straight there and see the, the amazing work that you're doing and have done in that space. Um, Racy McIlwa, fascinating, fascinating discussion. It's been an absolute pleasure. Many thanks for your time and insights. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thanks for joining me today on this episode of Heads Talk. Don't forget to subscribe to the show via my website, elainepringle.com forward slash Heads Talk, or wherever you get your podcasts. Finally, I'd like to thank our sponsors, guests, and you for helping to make the show possible. Please join me next time where I'll be featuring more executive decision makers and heads of multinationals. Heads Talk podcast with your host, Elaine Pringle-Schwitter.